Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So, let's get started. Last time we talked about Wallenstein and the whole army thing, and that was just a long talk about army organization and money, and this episode is a little more exciting, or as I hope it is. Continuing on from that, Wallenstein wasn't necessarily, again, universally well-regarded by this new army, even beyond some of the stuff I talked about. As the war began with Denmark, one of the complaints he tended to get was his army tended to strip areas bare, which was expected, but nobility would complain to him, and called his officers self-serving men. So, Wallenstein kind of got the inevitable brunt of what would happen with an army, because he's the figurehead, so therefore he takes responsibility, even if it wasn't him ordering them. But in the political context of the war, Christian IV was put under the imperial ban, which, while in Denmark it meant nothing, within the HRE, it meant that anybody who sided with him or supported him that was from the HRE risked getting their lands and titles taken away from them, which was a blow, as we saw last time, with all the land grabbing from Bohemia, which is still going on at this point, Then the process of it, as I talked about in, in that episode. The commission that I mentioned in that episode started with estates in Westphalia and Lower Saxony, which became easier as the war progressed for them, which I will start with today, but we'll need to go a little longer to get to exactly why it became easier. A lot of land was either taken or sequestered by 1630. Two particular lands of note was Magdeburg and Halderstadt, which I believe is where the last battle with the Paladins lost at was. I'll have to double check on that one, but I'm pretty sure it's that one. They were in between Danish neutral territories on the Elbe River. They were effectively forced into a corner, which meant they joined the Danish, but however, that gave Ferdinand a justification to sequester land as he had other wants for those territory. Those territories that were sequestered, especially early, were used as billets and quartering for Wallenstein's troops, and it also acted as a forward operating base. On the Wallenstein front, he convinced Tilly to stay on the west side of the Len River, which meant that Imperial troops would deal with the previously mentioned territories, which would give Ferdinand first dibs on the land, assuming they could be sequestered. He wanted the territory for his younger son, Leopold Wilhelm. It was to spread Habsburg for dynasty and give some prosperity to children, that whole thing. I'm not going to cover him, it's just relevant to know. There's a lot of political squabbling over these territories, but by 1627, Leopold was elected for Halderstadt, Remember, some of these territories weren't always just, like, hereditary. Sometimes they could be elected to it. Other times they could be just given and traded, that sort of thing. Magdeburg was actually a tougher nut to crack, as the Protestants there picked their own leader, who was August of, Sax- of Saxon Westenfell, who was the second son of Johann George of Saxony, who was the son of the ruler of Saxony. They also, due to their position, didn't let a garrison in until 1631, which wasn't relevant for the Danish part of the war. As the war began, Christian IV had trouble asserting his authority over the Protestant alliance. Like I mentioned in previous episodes, he was losing money, and he had to depend on his allies more and more, who had shown themselves to be unreliable in terms of pay and supplying reinforcements. The other introduced every military commander runs into, supply lines. For those of you who aren't militarily inclined, supply lines are basically your way to keep your troops fed, paid, supplied with ammunition, you know, repairs, etc., and communications. So you had to maintain that and protect that so the enemy couldn't disrupt it. So, which meant part of your force would have to be divert to protect it. It was something you had to consider when you went on a campaign. Also, you didn't want the enemy behind you to just attack you with impunity. So he had issues gathering enough supplies for a really deep incursion or strike into the HRE in Hasburg territory, which led to... Peace talks reopening by 1625 as the year passed with mostly border skirmishes and stuff like that. 
these peace talks would continue till 1627. It's become a pattern in this war that there would be a peace talk that would be that would be started and would just go nowhere, but they would open just in case. And generally be unsuccessful, usually resulting in bad punishments by the end. Most operations, especially on the Protestant front and the Danish front, were local and they were meant to really keep military advantage in the area they were holding slash operating in. They didn't want to give the enemy territory to operate in and by... You don't want to give up territory, and if you could take some of it away, that would be good. Christian, by 1626, had concentrated his around 20,000 men at Wolfenbuttel in order to keep Tilly and Wallenstein divided, knowing that together they'd overwhelm him. Wallenstein was at Halberstadt with around 20,000 men, about the same amount as Christian, until he was on the Wester River with the Harz Mountains between them. Christian sent a detachment. Christian sent a detachment of his army to distract Tilly and capture Osnabrück, which would give him more breathing room in the area. Duke Christian, who had joined up with the Danish, moved with his own force of around 4,000 men and moved to try to gain Hessen, which was currently being protected by Tilly, who wanted to keep it because there was a good supply of money. So he was forced to deal with Duke Christian while Wallenstein was on his own on the other side. Wallenstein, eventually wanting his help, could not get Tilly to cross the mountain into 1626, which demoralized Wallenstein. He had repeatedly tendered his resignation between February and March of 1626, although it was never really accepted or never sent. He was also on the issues of getting consistent pay, which he complained to Ferdinand about, and Again, consistent pay, as I mentioned in the Paladins. Consistent pay would, would be a constant problem for most armies in this war. Men would be on the brink of mutiny at a lot because they were not getting their pay. Another thing that really caused frustrations for Wallenstein was Mansfield popped back up with an army of around 12,000, which threatened the forces of the Imperial flank at Brandenburg, which you'll know is a important part of, I believe there's the, the Prussia podcast. Brandenburg is a major part of that. So Ferdinand, knowing this threatened positions into Upper Austria, Ferdinand ordered Wallenstein to maintain a position on the Elbe to keep this new army from threatening him. Tilly then began to engage to Christian around Goslar, although he was forced to pull back slightly when Mansfield had advanced in order to cover the territory or river cross into the rest of the empire because Mansfield had advanced into western Brandenburg. Mansfield's target, was, however, wasn't actually Brandenburg. Mansfield announced he was coming to liberate Magdeburg and began to occupy territory east of the Elbe River, and he positioned himself to threaten the outpost set, set up by Wallenstein at Alderingen, which was Wallenstein's only connection to Bohemia, as in where supply lines ran to. This forced Wallenstein to engage Mansfield as to not lose his supply lines, which would cripple him, and he'd be forced to rely on Tilly, which would be even more embarrassing. Mansfield put more pressure on the entrenchments at Alderingen on April 12th, but Wallenstein eventually arrived with reinforcements, which would bring the defenders up to around 14,000 troops and a decent number of guns. Mansfield kind of realized he reached too far, and he possessed only around 7,000 men and 25 guns after he quarreled with another commander that had, been, that had been defeated by the other Imperial commanders. He attempted a final assault on April 25th, unaware that Wallenstein had hid troops in the woods to the east of the battlefields. The assault failed, obviously, and Wallenstein counterattacked as the attack ran out of juice. He was overrun, and Mansfield infantry was abandoned by the cavalry, who then fled to Havelberg for safety. The assault was basically a dramatic failure, which was not a good first sign in this new renewed war against the Habsburgs. This also probably must have been frustrating for Mansfield, who, as we've talked about, had had a consistent string of defeats and not the best luck. Granted, this battle was kind of stupid on his part for attacking an outnumbered, and he also was attacking a, f- a fortified position, which would logically not go your way. 
I can see he probably didn't necessarily know the full extent of the enemy troops, but even then he must have known he was outnumbered. Although, again, I can't be sure and I'm like an armchair general or, you know, his thoughts, etc. The Protestants, however, were spared by Wallenstein not exploiting his victory, which was partially attributed to the rivalry of Attila and Wallenstein. Also, supply problems kept them from advancing. Both men were skilled commanders with their own armies and were competing for glory, so it was always potential for them to clash. They were fairly high-ranked nobility. Wallenstein was a upstart, up-and-coming, powerful nobility who was getting a lot of political influence and money. Tilly also had to deal with Duke Christian on his front at Osnabrück, who he eventually managed to kill, which would delay any Danish operations in the area for a while. By June 30th, 1626, Tilly and Wallenstein met at Dunderstadt, and they agreed to invade Lower Saxony. However, before they had a chance to do this, there was a rebellion formed in Upper Austria, which would, like I said, mean that they couldn't do their operations until that was dealt with. However, that will not be covered this one, and we'll cover that next time. So, overall, this war was not necessarily a great start for either side. Both sides were tied up with money and supply problems, and the Danish had trouble getting past Lower Saxony, although the Imperials weren't exactly keen on advancing either seeing as both sides are waiting for the other to strike, at least from my judgments looking at the battles. And Mansfield did manage to escape with a decent number of men, even if it was only the cavalry, which meant that it wasn't as crushing as it could have been. And once again, even when they could reunite and present a unified fighting force, the Imperial commanders still couldn't achieve their objective because things came up. Again, this war gets messy, and it isn't always pleasant for both sides, because sometimes it's not that one side losing, one side's winning, it's just both sides are doing badly, or just things are going their way. But, either way, I want to thank you for listening in, and I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, next week, we're going to cover the Upper Austrian Rebellion, and more of the war. The social media links will be in the description box, or in the links themselves. And you can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder, I have a Patreon. If you wish to support me, please review and, you know, rate me. That always looks good on, on podcasting places. And I'll see you guys next time.